Let's open our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. The Word of God of the New Testament. The first chapter of the first epistle. And we'll read the last three verses. Remembering that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Remembering that Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. So let's read these words distinctly and then give the sense, which is the Bible instruction on how to preach. From Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 8. 1 Peter 1 and verse 23. Being born again. Not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. By the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass. And all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Amen Amen and amen. The last three verses of 1 Peter chapter 1. Being born again. This use of the be verb here as a participial adjective being means that they were in the condition and the fact was established that they were born again. They were not in the process of being born again. When you see that word being born again doesn't mean like it may sound to your ear that they were in the process of being born again because the new birth is an instantaneous event in a person's life when God says live and life is formed inside a person that is new toward God. It is called the new man. They are born again. The first time you were born from two parents who conceived you through ordinary, natural human reproduction, and you were born, and you came into existence as a sinner, and a depraved sinner. But God speaks the word life to your soul by the power of the Holy Ghost in some places, by the word of the Lord Jesus Christ in other places, by God the Father in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, we're born again. We have a new nature inside us by the creative act of God. These people were already born again. And you know that because verse 22 says that they were already known for their unfeigned love of the brethren and no one would love the brethren without being born again. Regeneration is absolutely necessary for any of the good things that Peter exhorted these readers to from verse 13 on. From verse 13 on, when it says, gird up the loins of your mind, when it says to be sober, when it says to hope to the end, when it says not to fashion yourselves according to the lusts of your ignorance, when it says those things, nobody would do them unless they were born again. And so this being born again is stating an existing fact about these particular readers of First Peter. You will not gird up the loins of your mind. You will not live a holy life. You will not pass the time of your sojourning here in fear without being born again. 
The first birth leaves you totally depraved. Loving sin. Loving the devil. Loving the world. Unable and unwilling to please God at all. But the new birth gives you the strength and the ability and the desire to do the things described in the 22nd verse that I preached this morning. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. There's the choice and there's the doing. God works that in us. If God doesn't work that in us, we are enemies of God, we hate God, and we would choose the devil as our father. We hate heavenly things and we love earthly things. But God made the change. There's no period disconnecting verse 22 from verse 23. If you have the love and the desire to love the way verse 22 describes, it's because you are born again. Because that new birth is evident in your love of the brethren. If I were to take you to 1 John 3 or 1 John 4 or 1 John 5 or 1 John 2, what would it tell you about the order of events? Being born again and loving the brethren. Which comes first? Loving the brethren or being born again? Being born again. It says it over and over again. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth his brother is born of God. That is born of God is a perfect tense verb construction, meaning that someone that is loving his brother in the present, he is already, has been born of God and is in the condition of having been born already. That's why he loves his brother. And so it's fitting for this 23rd verse to be here explaining the foundation for the great change that took place in the lives of these people that were once hateful and hating one another, but now they loved each other because they were born again. The work of regeneration requires the divine power of God and Jesus Christ. And you need to remember that. When we look at these words, see, we're going to have to make some choices coming up about rightly dividing the Word of God. So you need to remember some things. And one of those things is that the new birth does not take place by the instrumentality of the written Word of God. It only takes place by the sovereign monergistic power of God Himself. And that's already been stated in verse 3 of this chapter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again. It's not which according to the written Word of God or to the preached Gospel of God hath begotten us again, but it's just the pure mercy of God that He causes us to be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. If you have a love toward God today, if you have a love toward Jesus Christ today, if you want to obey the Bible in your life and please God, it is because God has already regenerated you by His power. If God does not regenerate first, it does not matter how effective the preacher is. It does not matter what language the Bible is preached in. It doesn't doesn't matter how many sermons you listen to. It will bear no fruit unless you're already born again. The written Word of God, the preached Word of God, cannot help a person not born again. And you need to remember that before we proceed any further through these verses to remember that only God regenerates by His sovereign power. The will of the flesh, 
The will of man is not involved in it. John 1.13 says, which were born. Speaking of being born again, which were born, not of blood. It doesn't have anything to do with your parents or your natural lineage. Not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. It is not presenting truth to you to see if you will respond and then get born again. It is not the will of the flesh. It is not the will of man. There's no preacher. There's no soul winner. There's no evangelist. And there's no godparent that can get you born again. So Jesus taught very plainly through John in John 1.13, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. But of God. And so when it says being born again, we know how we're born again by previous preaching on the subject and our knowledge of the Scriptures. There is no more room for human means in your second birth than there were than there was room for human means in your first birth. You did not contribute to your first birth, and you do not contribute to your second birth. Amen. That is why the Bible calls it being born again. Because it's out of your control. It's the Spirit's control. It's the Spirit's operation that causes us to be born again. And what a blessing it is. Being born again. Verse 23 starts off. And it's because we're born again, one stage and one phase in God's operation of salvation, that the things described in this chapter are ours. Because we've been born again as the children of God. These promises that are held out here are for the children of God. It says in verse 14, as obedient children. How did we become the children of God? Because verse 3 said we were born again according to His abundant mercy. Here it's being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the Word of God, which we will look at shortly. The Bible cannot help a person in the flesh. He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. That is Jesus Christ speaking to Jews in John 8, 47. He that is of God, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. Jesus told a large portion of His preaching audience that they were not born again. And that's why they couldn't understand His preaching. You have to be born again to understand the Lord Jesus Christ and to respond to Him with love and obedience and a commitment of one's life. It depends upon being born again. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural man, that's a man who hasn't been born again. That's a man who has only one birth. He was born naturally to two parents. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. The natural man doesn't have a spiritual component of his life, so when spiritual truth is presented to him, he cannot receive it, and he just thinks it is foolish. This is the doctrine of the Bible. This is what we believe in this church. We do not present the truth to natural men to get them to do something to become spiritual men. That is impossible. 
God must make us spiritual men first. Then we present the things of the Spirit of God. And the spiritual man latches onto them, loves them, believes them, and obeys them. The natural man still hates the things of the Spirit of God. So that we end up being schizophrenic. Spiritually, naturally speaking, there's part of us that that resents the gospel and its self-denying features. And there's part of us that loves the gospel when we're born again. Being born again. You know that we could go for a long time on this particular three words. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Are we going to have some flesh mentioned in verse 24? All flesh is as grass. Everything you have by your first birth, everything you are by natural birth, all the glory of what you've been able to accomplish in life, do you know what God the Holy Spirit has to say about it? It is weeds. All flesh is as grass. And that isn't Bermuda. It's weeds. It's what horses eat. And all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower falleth away. It dries up and disappears. That's what you have by the flesh. So the Bible says, so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Romans 8, verses 7 and 8. But a man that's in the Spirit, he has been changed, He has been born again. He has a new man, and that new man is able to obey God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, John 3, 6. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit, John 3, 6. So, being born again, it requires the divine power of God and Jesus Christ, as the Bible says in so many places. For as the Father hath life in Himself, so hath He given to the Son to have life in Himself. Because He is the Son of Man. John 5 and verse 21. And you hath He quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. This is always the work of God. It is not the work of a preacher. It is not the work of the Bible. The Bible can't help a person not born again. A preacher can't help a person not born again. God must regenerate them first. Then they hear. Then they believe. Then they respond. And it's always in that order. Not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. Now we have already established, and I hope it was satisfactory to your comfort, the fact that being born again is by God. Now the different members of the Godhead are referred to as being the cause or source or agent of our new birth, depending on where you read. If you're in John chapter 3 about Jesus speaking to Nicodemus about being born again, which person in the Godhead is the agent, cause, or source of regeneration? The Spirit. Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. That's verse 5, then that's verse 6. Now let's get verse 8. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Spirit. All Spirit. But in verse 3 of this chapter, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again. 
Now what person in the Godhead is responsible for us being born again? God the Father, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Are we ever told that the second person in the Godhead, and I hope that you'll allow me to use that terminology, even though it's not in the Bible, to describe the Word of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Does John chapter 5 say, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. Amen. So it's referred to all three. So now we have the words, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. We know that it's talking about God. But which person in the Godhead is it talking about? That is incorruptible seed. Here's what happens in this text of Scripture. The word seed blows circuits. They see the word seed, and all they can think of is the parable of the sower. One time out of a hundred, when Jesus used the word seed metaphorically for the preaching of God's word, when the word seed is used in the Bible, it usually refers to the progeny or offspring of a person. And it uses that it that way over and over again. The seed, the offspring. I mean, in Revelation 12, 17, when it says the seed of the woman, it's, re, it's describing the descendants of the church of Jesus Christ that are going to be persecuted by the, the devil and false religion in Revelation 12, 17. So we've got this word seed. And it ordinarily refers to the progeny or the offspring or the descendant or the descendants of someone. So we have being born again, and we know it's God, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. We should accept the word seed the way the Bible uses it because we need to because of what it says next as well. Notice what we have. Not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. There is a seed of which we are born again. We know that it's God because of the first three words in our knowledge about regeneration. We know what person it is in the Godhead because of what it says next. By the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Your Bible is not alive and it's not abiding. When you have intransitive verbs like this, liveth and abideth, we are talking about a person, and we have a person, because we know that God only regenerates, the Bible doesn't regenerate, we know that there is a member of the Godhead called the Word of God, and we know that the Bible credits Him for regenerating us in other places. Are you able to follow that? Because I don't want to spend very long on this. I want to move through these three verses. So when it says, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, we have sandwiched around that the fact that it is God because our regeneration is entirely and only by the work of God. Second, we have a name given to us in the third clause, the Word of God. Do you know anyone in the Bible named the Word of God? Is He commonly called the Word of God in John 1? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That is the Lord Jesus Christ, John 1.14. And the Word was made flesh, 
and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. When you look all the way to the end of the Bible, to Revelation 19.13, and you see a champion king on a white horse with a two-edged sword coming out of his mouth, and his his horse is dripping with blood, what is his name? The Word of God. In 1 John 1.1, he is called the Word of Life. John said we have seen him. We have handled Him. That eternal life was present with us and His name was the Word of Life because it's the Word of God. Who is He? Who is the Word of God made flesh that you can handle and that you can see in 1 John 1.1? It is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when we look at these words and we think about corruptible seed, and we think about all flesh as grass, everyone of ordinary birth is just weeds that dry up and wither up and disappear, but there is an incorruptible seed. There is someone that lives forever and ever, and it says so. It says, which liveth and abideth forever, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. In Revelation chapter 1 and verse 18, Jesus said, I was dead, John, but now I am alive forevermore. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter, the, the man who wrote this verse, when he preached in the day of Pentecost, he went back and grabbed Psalm 16 and verse 10 and brought it into the present and said, I want to tell you about Jesus. God did not leave His soul in hell, neither did He suffer Him to see corruption. You want to talk about an incorruptible seed? I can take you to Genesis 3.15 and show you that Jesus Christ is the seed of the woman. Does it say that? The seed of the woman. As early as Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman. If I take you to Genesis chapter 12 through Genesis 24, can I show you that the seed of Abraham was to come into this world and that all nations of the earth would be blessed by the seed of of Abraham. And who is the seed of Abraham? Oh, I'm getting goose, I'm getting goosebumps. You may not be getting them, but I'm getting them. Maybe it's the cold air. Maybe it's the fact that I get to tell you about the seed of the woman and the seed of Abraham. These words are not difficult if we will trust the Bible. And if you will forget the parable of the sower for a minute. When it says being born again, is it talking about farming or is it talking about biology? If it's talking about biology, why do you want to think about farming? It's not difficult. It's exciting. Is Jesus the seed of anyone else that the Bible wants you to know about? He's the seed of David. He's the seed of the woman. He's the seed of Abraham. He's the seed of David. And he never saw corruption. And which Bible preacher is the one that preached that in the day of Pentecost? Our brother Peter. He took Psalm 16 and verse 10. He says, men and brethren, let's talk about this for a minute. Psalm 16.10 says that thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one. Thine holy one. Does that sound like a seed? Your holy child, Jesus. You will not suffer him to see corruption. Now, men and brethren, David wrote those words, and you know that David wrote those words in the 16th Psalm. But you know, when you go down four blocks, turn left three blocks, and turn right one block, there's a sepulcher there that says, these be the corrupt bones of David. Now, brethren, David saw corruption. 
But David was a prophet, so David was talking about someone else. And that someone else that David was talking about, I just saw him for 40 days, and I ate and drank with him. He did not see corruption. This is the incorruptible seed. The Word of God. The Lord Jesus Christ. More, More could be said. There will be an outline within 12 hours by God's grace on the internet that's the most extensive outline I've ever written and that doesn't prove or say anything except to tell you that there is a lot of matter in 1 Peter chapter 1 and I have a lot of matter on this particular point I'm making right now but I do not have a commensurate amount of time. He is the seed of the woman. He is the seed of Abraham. He is the seed of David. There is an incorruptible seed that is unlike anyone else that has ever walked on this planet. Every other person is corruptible. Every other person is subject to death. Every other person's body rots in the grave, but not the Lord Jesus Christ. He is incorruptible and He lives forever. All flesh is as grass except His flesh. He is the first fruits of them that slept. He has a glorified, resurrected body in heaven. And we want to remember that about Him. Jesus, the living Word of God, never saw corruption. And the Bible also teaches that in Acts 13 when Paul included it in a sermon that he taught in that place. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. He is the agent and source of regenerative life according to John chapter 5. He ever liveth to make intercession for us. He continues, he continues forever as a priest. Hebrews 7 states it several different ways. He is alive forevermore. He has had his incorruptible body for two millennia now. Right. At the right hand of God. He is the source of our regeneration. The Lord Jesus Christ created the heavens and the earth. Ephesians 3, 9, Hebrews 1, 2, the Lord Jesus Christ said, let there be light, and there was light. And the Lord Jesus Christ says, Lazarus, come forth. (laughs) And he that was dead came forth. And Jesus Christ says, live. And at some point in our lives, we live. By the life-giving voice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that isn't all He's going to do. Because that passage in John 5 goes on to say that there is coming a day in the which the Lord Jesus Christ will say to everybody, Every physical body, all corrupted, eaten by worms, down in the ground, come forth. And every physical body of the wicked and the righteous will come out of cemeteries. And the cemeteries will be tore up. It doesn't matter if you died at sea and were buried like a sailor. And you have decomposed in the ocean. And you've been scattered into the into four different seas. He will put your body back together by His life-giving voice. Marvel not at this about being regenerated by the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ. For the hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves shall hear His voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life. They that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. He will bring them all out by His life-giving voice. So therefore, we understand That regeneration is assigned to the Godhead and different persons in the Godhead based on different perspectives in different places at different times. But right here and right now, it is an incorruptible seed. 
And God Himself is not a seed, but the Lord Jesus Christ is the seed. He is the Son of God. He is the seed of the woman, the seed of Abraham, and the seed of David. Okay. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Here is how we reason in the Scriptures. We know that we're born again, not by the Bible, but by God Himself. So that's an assumption that we make because of what the rest of the Bible teaches. We know that there is an incorruptible seed. There is a being that is related to the Godhead that is incorruptible. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that He has the name of the Word of God. And we know that Jesus Christ lives and abides forever. It is very simple if we just go through those four statements to realize the Word of God cannot be the Bible. The Word of God must be the living Word of God. Now, for a little practice, let's turn back a few pages to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4 for a little practice. Thank you, Lord, for sharing. The Lord has shown us so many things. He is so kind to us. Look at this verse. I grew up hearing in my house the thundering voice of retired U.S. Air Force Colonel R.B. Thiem Jr. who flew B-29s to bomb the Romanian oil fields to shut down Hitler's Germany in World War II. He would start off every sermon this way. For the Word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Every sermon. And this little boy would sit there in awe as Colonel Theme, as his church members at Baraka Church in Houston, Texas called him the Colonel, as he would thunder out with that verse to open up each passage. Well, the little boy grew up, and he went off to Bob Jones University. And at Bob Jones University, there were a thousand guys called preacher boys. They were the ones that decided to major in Bible and become preachers. They, when they flipped through the handbook and the, and the college catalog, they didn't want to be accountants like some. They didn't want to be movie producers like others. They wanted to be preachers, you know? It's just a choice. You just flip through and, oh, yeah, I don't want to be a nurse. Uh, oh, preacher. Cool. Okay. So, they start taking classes to make them preachers. And they'd have a big ring. They'd have a big ring. It'd be hooked on their belts. Come on, guys. Nod your heads. It'd be hooked on their belts where they had memory verses that they had to learn. Now, about the first verse they had to learn was Hebrews 4.12. Because this verse about the Bible is what every preacher should be solidly established in. You should know that the Bible is a fantastic book. It's quick and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. And it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So they would memorize Hebrews 4.12. Now there's a problem with R.B. Theme Jr., the colonel, and there's a problem with those poor preacher boys. Hebrews 4.12 doesn't have a thing to do with the Bible. It doesn't have a thing to do with the Bible. It doesn't have most to do with Jesus and some to do with the Bible. It doesn't have anything to do with the Bible whatsoever. Right. 
It's all about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, are you strong enough in your mind to trust the Bible instead of R.B. Theme Jr. and Bob Jones University? And let's just go ahead and say it, 97% of all other Bible commentators that you can find. Are you able to do that? So we look at the verse. For the Word of God, you say, but it's not capitalized. Well, either is son in Isaiah 7.14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel. Does that bother you? That that might not be Jesus? How about Hebrews, I mean, Isaiah 9.6? For unto us a child is born, small c, and unto us a son is given, small s, And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, capital W, Counselor, capital C, the Mighty God. Yeah, capital A, yeah, you got it. But why isn't Son capitalized? Because in 1611, the rules for capitalizing deity and names referring to deity weren't established. But I can flip you over to Daniel chapter 3, when Nebuchadnezzar looks in the fiery furnace, and he threw three men into that furnace, and he says... I see four men down there walking around and they're not even tied up and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God, capital S, capital G. you got to be kidding me. What a pagan king like Nebuchadnezzar sees in a fiery servant. A fiery furnace gets capitalized and prophecies about the Lord Jesus Christ don't get capitalized. Oh, I love our King James Bible. You say, but why do you love it when you know that causes confusion? That's why I love it. It causes confusion. So that if somebody doesn't want to study the Bible God's way, they end up confused. So they look at Hebrews 4.12, and because it's a little W, it can't be Jesus. Do you know why it's a little W in Hebrews 4.12? Because it's a little W in 1 Peter 1.23, and the Lord is testing your faith. That's why. You say, why is it a capital W in John, 1 John 1 1? Why is it a capital W in John 1 1? Because those are obvious. Our translators were so honest, they would not capitalize a word to force an interpretation on it. They left it by God's providence for us to figure out by reading the context. Hebrews 4 12 is only about the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's all about the Lord Jesus Christ. For the word of God is quick, that means alive. Do you know who's alive forevermore? It's the Lord Jesus. For the word of God is powerful. All power is given unto me in heaven and earth, the Lord Jesus Christ said. Who discerns the thoughts and intents of your heart? Your Bible can't discern. Your Bible is a bunch of words on paper. It doesn't discern. Jesus Christ discerns. But listen, brethren, the proof is in the context. If we go to verse 13, what does it say? Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. But all things are naked and open unto the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens. Oh, we get a name now. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast the profession of our faith. What is Hebrews 4 about? Holding fast the profession of their faith, lest they would miss the rest of God, just like the Israelites in the wilderness missed the rest of Canaan. And who is going to discern whether we are living faithfully or not, the all-seeing eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ, our great high priest in heaven, who was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin, all right here in this context. It doesn't have a thing to do with the Bible. 
Remember that. Hebrews 4.12 doesn't have a thing to do with the Bible. It's all about Jesus. So this little boy grew up. Then this little boy heard a man preach who only cared about what the context around Hebrews 4.12 says. And the first man that he heard preach Hebrews 4.12 the correct way, he says, for the Word of God is quick, meaning alive. Now, if you think that your Bible's alive, he said in only the way that this man could say it in a Georgia drawl, he says, you go home and find yourself a boy Bible and a girl Bible and put them in a shoebox and put a rubber band around it and put it in the closet and come back in a few months and see how many little Bibles you have. Now you say, that's just a little too sarcastic for me. It was just what I needed at that point in my life. Just what I needed at that point in my life. Um, I'm thankful. And then, dropping the sarcasm, he would say, just read verse 13. And you read verse 13, you go, oh, you've got to be kidding me. Why would I ever think that Hebrews 4.12 is about the Bible? Look at that. Neither. That is a connection to that verse that because Jesus is able to divide asunder the soul and spirit and He is able to discern the thoughts and intents of the heart, the ability to discern the thoughts and intents of the heart is the same or similar or related to the fact that everything is manifest in His sight and all things are naked and open in the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. And it's Jesus, the Son of God. Hebrews 4.12 has a little W to test you. Will you pass with me? Because 13 and 14 tell me exactly who's under consideration. It's not the Bible. Once I've gone through this exercise, first of all, I look at the context, and the context proves it's Jesus. Then I look at the terms of what is described in verse 12, and they only apply to Jesus. They don't apply to the Bible. The Bible does not divide between your soul and spirit. The Bible does not divide between your joints and your marrow. I'll tell you about a great physician that can slice right through you and dice you every way. You can talk about PET scans and all that you want to about slicing and dicing the human body, but the Lord Jesus Christ can cut through at the cellular level because it says by Him all things consist. And he upholds all things by the word of his power. Now that, oh, I like that word power again. Anyway, that's the exercise. So once you've gone through that exercise, you come back to 1 Peter chapter 1. Brethren, we would, how can you be so blind that to consider yourself the foremost original language expositor of the Bible in America? Colonel R.B. Thane, Jr. You wouldn't be able to figure out the opening text that you opened every sermon with. It's amazing. But you know what? If it wasn't for the grace of God, we wouldn't see anything. It is purely by the grace of God. It is only by the grace of God. It is all by the grace of God. There is no human intelligence involved. It is God that opens our eyes to see the truth. 1 Peter 1.23, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the Word of God. There's that little W. Can you do it? Can you take the leap of faith? 
This is the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you do it? You say, but why isn't it capitalized? If it was capitalized, then it wouldn't involve your faith. You'd just be looking at the translators having put a big W there. But are you able to know that when it says being born again, it must be God? There's only one incorruptible seed in the universe, and there's only one word of God that lives and abides forever as intransitive verbs. It's got to be the Lord Jesus Christ. And that matches up with everything else we have in the Bible. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. He never corrupts. He's been in His glorified, incorruptible body for 2,000 years because He's the first fruits of them that slept. We're going to follow and be just like Him because we have an inheritance that is incorruptible as verse 4 taught us earlier in our study of this chapter. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the Word of God which liveth and abideth forever, period. That, that, that describes our regeneration by the Lord Jesus Christ who has all power, who's quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword and is able to speak, He resurrects us spiritually, and He is coming again soon to resurrect every dead body from the grave. For all flesh is as grass. Now we're dealing with something else. For all flesh is as grass. Jesus Christ is glorified flesh. Jesus Christ is an incorruptible seed. Jesus Christ is the Word made flesh, which is very different than just flesh. All flesh is talking about you in your natural state because look at the next clause. All flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. We're talking about natural men and all their accomplishments and all their powers and all their abilities are weeds. All flesh is weeds. All the glory of man is as the flower of weeds. You're dandelions. I'm dandelions. We're grass. I know, for some of you really hate dandelions, and that's low. But I hope you can accept it. This verse isn't exactly lifting up the human race. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 24. Brethren, what would we be without being born again in 23? We would be in 24, and that's all we would have is in verse 24. But God has made a huge difference. And Jesus Christ has already given us the illustration of what's going to take place He has His glorified body in heaven and we are waiting for Him to come again and give us our glorified bodies because we've been born again by the Lord Jesus Christ. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Liveth and abideth forever. Just look at the contrast between 23 and 24. Incorruptible, but in verse 24... Everything about man corrupts away and disappears. Liveth forever. Falleth away. Withereth. Disappears. Abideth forever. Grass doesn't abide at all. It lasts a few days. The sun comes out. It withers up and the flower falls off it. And it's gone. You burn it up and you throw it in the oven. What a difference between the Lord Jesus Christ and all flesh that's not regenerated. What a difference between us being born again and all flesh without the new birth. We have a new nature in us that is incorruptible. There is a whole other lesson that I could give you, but it is not the primary interpretation of this passage. And it is 1 John chapter 3 and verse 9. And I will leave it with those of you who love extra challenges. 1 John 3, 9 says that he that is born of God sinneth not, because his seed remaineth in him and he cannot sin because, he, because he's born of God. 
When Jesus Christ, who is the incorruptible seed, regenerates us, He puts a new man inside of us that is created after the image of Him who created Him, and it is called the seed of God. Brethren, we have a seed in us. It's the new man. It is incorruptible. It's never going to change. It is ready for heaven. Your body isn't ready for heaven, and you still have an old man. We die to get rid of our old man, and we die and then get resurrected so that God can glorify our bodies to match up with that incorruptible new man that's in us. We have a part in us that cannot sin. It's the new man, 1 John 3.9. But look at the contrast. For all flesh is as grass. This is from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 6 and 7. Peter reached back and got... Th- Those two verses and pull them forward for verse 24. All flesh is as grass. All ordinary manner is grass. Everything born by two parents is like grass. And all the glory of man, the best that a man can be. We're looking for a few good men. You pick the good men, you pick the best men, you pick the best of the best. All the glory of man is like the flower of grass. The grass withereth and the flower falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. That's Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 8. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. So what are you going to do here, pastor? What does it say about the word of the Lord enduring forever? Well, Peter is quoting from Isaiah chapter 40 verses 6 through 8. He's used it as transitional material pointing out that the new birth makes us so different than what we were by our first birth. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. He's compared the Lord Jesus Christ to all flesh. Jesus Christ is totally different. He's incorruptible, but all other flesh is corruptible. The Word of God in 1 Peter 1.25 is this Word. You say, how do you know it's this Word? Why couldn't it still be Jesus? Well, it, it could be Jesus, but we have a grammatical problem. We have a contextual problem. The grammatical problem is this. We have a this in verse 25. But the word of the Lord endureth forever, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. This is a demonstrative pronoun referring to something very close at hand in the context. Are you familiar with this and that? If Peter wanted to reference the word of God in verse 23, he would have said that is the word by which the gospel is preached unto you. But he said this referring only back to the word very close. When you write and you use demonstrative pronouns or demonstrative adjectives, when you attach it to something like this book, you are talking about a book that has just been mentioned in your conversation. You are not talking about a book that is in that is separated by any distance, but there are two under consideration. When you use demonstrative pronouns or demonstrative adjectives, You are comparing two things and you are drawing on the one that is closest to you at this point. This is the word. There's two words. This is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. That is what a demonstrative pronoun and adjective does. It may not sound that way to your ears, but that's what it does. That reaches back to the one farthest away. This reaches to the one closest. Those are the ones, plural, farther away. These are the ones closer at hand. You say, well, that's the, that's the grammatical. You said contextual. Yep. 
Did you know that when Peter wrote, he didn't write chapter 1 and then take a couple days off and then write chapter 2? Let's just keep reading about the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Wherefore, is that drawing a conclusion from what's just been said? Laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. Thank you. The word in verse 25 is the written word of God that helps children of God grow. The word in verse 23 is the word of God that gave them life in the first place. Being born again. That's the arrival of life. Verse 25 is the preaching. What am I supposed to do? What's my three word job description according to 2 Timothy 4 2? Preach the word. This is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. We preach the truth of God's word, and by you desiring it and embracing it, you're able to grow thereby. But who gave you the life that, that needs to grow? God gave you the life by regeneration through the living word of God in verse 23. But the written word of God is preached in verse 25, and you are to desire it like little babies desire milk in chapter 2 and verse 2. Preacher. Preacher man, why would God put the Word of God, meaning Jesus, and the Word of God, meaning the Bible, so close together? Oh, you have asked a very good question. You have asked a very good question. So that those who don't want to study can end up believing that they're both the same thing. You say, does God do anything like that elsewhere in the Bible? Oh, yes. They are not all Israel, which are of Israel. Now, why don't you work in, on that one for a little while in Romans 9, 6. Or, if you really want to get close to home, if you go to James chapter 1, which is a fraternal twin to this epistle, James chapter 1 does the very same thing as right here. It is James 1.18 verses James 1.21. They are separated by three verses instead of two. It's James 1.18. Listen to this about the living word. Of his own will, of his own will, begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. You say, but it said word of truth. Does that bother you? Is Jesus the way, the truth, and the life? Amen. Is he, call, is he called the word of life in 1 John 1.1? 1, 1? Yep. He is. He's also the word of truth. Because notice it says of his own will, his is that a male singular pronoun of his own will begat he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures? We are talking about a creator creating. But then verse 21, Wherefore, lay apart all, all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. <laughs> The Lord did it twice. James 1, 18 and 21. 1 Peter 1, 23 and 25. Not a problem. Thank you, Heavenly Father. I, I love your word just the way it is. I know that when I look at 1 Peter 1, 23, it cannot be the Bible because of the things it says about being born again and incorruptible seed. 
and the name word of God and living and abiding forever. And I know that the rest of the Bible teaches that the word of God, the preaching of the gospel cannot influence a person to be born again whatsoever. It is all of sovereign, monergistic grace of God according to his own will. And not the will of the flesh or any other will being involved in being born again. But when it comes to growing in faith, we are supposed to lay aside malice, guile, hypocrisies, envies, and evil speakings, and desire the sincere milk of the word. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. So we conclude 1 Peter chapter 1. Wonderful chapter. Wonderful chapter. We have been followers of the Apostle Paul because he's the apostle of the Gentiles. But what a blessing we have obtained from 1 Peter chapter 1. We have been born again according to His abundant mercy in verse 3 and according to the Word of God in verse 23. And He has so many things laid up in store for us. There is an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you. Reserved in heaven for you. Do people die where you work? You have a reservation reserved in heaven for you. And as certainly as Jesus is there, you're going to be there. He is the first fruits of them that slept. We're going to follow right along behind Him. And when He comes for us, He is going to give us all that He has. We will be joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ of God and and heaven's glories. And because of all that's held out in store for us, we should gird up the loins of our minds. We should renew our minds. We, We should obey the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. Let's be ready for the Lord Jesus Christ coming. Let's pass the time of our sojourning here in fear. Let's be holy. Let's be sober. Let's not fashion ourselves according to our lusts and our ignorance. Let's be ready for the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's do what Peter told us to do. This is by the inspiration of God and all Scripture is given by His inspiration. It's profitable for our doctrine, for our reproof, for our correction, and our instruction in righteousness. You've had laid before you the opportunity to believe and obey His truth if you've been born again. And being born again, it's by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then He's given us this written word as well. It endures forever. It is settled forever in heaven. Not a jot or a tittle is going to fall from it until it's completely fulfilled. This word is true. You can measure everything by it because it endures against everything else. And it's what is preached to you, and you should desire the sincere milk of this so that you can grow thereby. God's given us the life. Let's now grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ as Peter will end up his second epistle in 2 Peter 3.18. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word for you to love its phraseology, for its choices, but most of all for the message and doctrine that it conveys to us about the Lord Jesus Christ and what He's done for us and what we should do for Him and for one another. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word.